You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today, Jason Whitlock. He's back, and this time he has brought Uncle Jimmy. James Uncle Jimmy Dobbs, his partner in crime on their new show, Fearless. Fearless, which is a new podcast, and there's a video version as well with The Blaze, um, and it's totally unfiltered, inappropriate, and awesome. <laughs> um, they're hilarious together. These guys have known each other for a long, long time. Jason isn't afraid to say anything, nor is Uncle Jimmy, as you guys are about to find out. We had a lot of laughs. We touched a lot of third rails, and um, we we left like our stomachs were hurting from the laughter. So. You're going to love these guys. They're coming up in one minute. We're going to kick it off with Jason's thought on uh, Rachel Nichols. He's been talking a lot about this Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor thing at ESPN where he used to work. And I think you're going to want to get his take. So that's one minute away. Stand by. Let's start with the latest, the latest news out of the world of sports. This, this story was made for you, Jason. The Rachel Nichols story. Now, I confess, you know, I don't know anything about sports. I don't really follow sports. If it crosses over into the news world, then I follow it. And this one has. And it's to me, it's kind of titillating because it involves two women at the top of their journalism game, sports journalism. And it's basically devolved into sort of a cat fight, which is also kind of interesting. (laughs) Um, But I think there are a lot of points about this story. It's brought up a lot. What basically happened is Rachel Nichols and you tell me, is she is she like one of ESPN's biggest stars? Uh, I would think she's in the top 20, uh, <laughs> bottom half of the, the top 20 I would, I, off the top of my head. She's certainly uh, one of their most accomplished journalists, having worked at the Washington Post and then transitioned over into the television world. And I think... You could argue her and Maria are the two highest profile women working at ESPN right now. Okay. So Rachel's white, Maria Taylor's black. And Rachel Nichols, a year ago, that's what's weird about this story, although there's probably a reason we're just finding out about it now. Rachel Nichols gets caught on an open mic. It was basically an in-hotel room camera that she was using for her reporting during COVID that she left on, which was a mistake, but it's still creepy that somebody taped her having a private conversation in her room, uh, goes on and on about Maria and, and basically says, look, you know, she, she covers what she covers, but because she's Rachel's ticked off because she's, uh, she's in danger of losing her hosting role for the NBA finals at the time to Maria. And she says, you know, it's fine, but I don't want ESPN to make up for its crappy record on diversity by replacing me as the host is essentially what she says. She says, find it from somewhere else. You're not going to find it from me or take my thing away. In other words, a better diversity record. 
Now, what I found interesting about this, Jason, you tell me, is that, and I know you've been kind of defensive of Rachel Nichols, but I look back and Rachel Nichols, she's one of these wokesters. She's one of these people. She railed on North Carolina for its transgender policies. She railed about inequality after George Floyd. She said the sports world has to play a role in rectifying inequality. It matters that these messages be pushed in sports, especially for fans watching TV who might not have anyone who looks like them on TV saying these things about diversity. She praised Colin Kaepernick. So I, I'm like, this woman's totally for diversity and equality unless she's the one who's got to make the sacrifice. Don't take my <laughs> thing away. <laughs> she's annoying. And I don't feel sorry for her. But what's your take? Uh, all of what you said is true. But that's that's not the way that, you know, I operate it. You know, Rachel Nichols chickens are certainly coming home to roost, but it still doesn't mean she's not being treated incredibly unfairly. And so I just think that uh, any person, man or woman, black or white, uh, having a private conversation leaked and leaked a year later uh, is just totally unfair to take her comments and try to spin them as if they were somehow racist and beyond the pale. Totally unfair. Uh, she went out of her way. I mean, she damn near sounded like she knew she was being recorded uh, the way her answer was, because trust me, if I'm on a private conversation with friends and I'm talking about getting screwed over out of a job, I don't sound nearly as professional <laughs> and as polished as she did. And yeah, but she was talking to somebody who is an important guy in that industry, as I understand it. It was LeBron's rep, Adam Mendelson. So she wasn't going to be really railing, right? Like this was uh, probably as about as much as she was, hmm. she was confident saying. I, yeah, she'd have, have a different conversation with her mom. Yeah, yeah, have, so, you're, you're, or her yeah. girlfriends. Yeah. All right, listen, we have we have a soundbite of uh, of Rachel. Listen, I wish Marie Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your like crappy long time record on diversity, which by the way I myself like know personally from the female side of it. Like, go for it. Just, you know, find it somewhere else. Like, you're not going to find it with me and taking my thing away. Uh, I love it. It's just so funny, right, that she was supposed to be this war warrior for equity. And then she's like, but not but not when it comes to me. I mean, this is what these wokesters do, right? Like, yes, Black Lives Matter. And then it's like, oh, wait, I lost out my position to a black person. Forget that. Right? So it's like, oh, not as woke as you want us to believe. Yeah, the hypocrisy's thick. But what I'm hoping is, and maybe it's a naive hope, is that this will be her red pill moment. She will have, because mm. what Rachel Nichols is, is a survivor. And I can't knock her for that. She's going the direction that ESPN is blowing everybody into. She's going with the flow. The, the ES, in order to survive at ESPN, you have to be woke. Or that political monster within ESPN will chew you up and spit you out. It happened to me from 2013 to 2015 when I was hired to launch and run the undefeated. My political point of view, which or my just world view of being a conservative, and again, because I'm not really political, I'm just a guy that was raised in a church and raised playing football. And so my point of view is conservative, and I'm not going to back off that for anybody. And I got chewed up and spit out at ESPN by the leftists that 
uh, are within that organization, the political factions, the lobbyists within ESPN. And, and so Rachel Nichols and others, when you, and, and this will be an arrogant statement, but Rachel Nichols is smart. She's like, man, Jason Whitlock, look at his journalistic resume. He's at the top of the field in the sports world. And they annihilated and assassinated him for having a conservative mm-hmm. point of view. So if she wants to survive, this, she game. has to go woke. Mm, and and again, I, I don't know what and maybe she's authentically woke. I tend to doubt it. I, I'm hoping that this moment looking at the leftists, I mean, I, I don't know, if Megan, if you're aware and, and I almost hate mentioning this, but it factually happened. They're going after Rachel Nichols so viciously that. Two days ago, I, I think on Tuesday, she was trending over Twitter about a rumor and her and some NBA basketball player. And Twitter allowed her to trend with the with all these tweets about her and some NBA player. And that's how hard the left wants to bury her, that they rig up something like that and instruct people to start tweeting and bots and algorithms or whatever about her personal life. This woman's married and doesn't need to be subjected to that type of Well, if uh, it's gossip. untrue, it's defamatory. If it's defamatory yes. per se, as we as we refer to. Her her in-laws are apparently Diane Sawyer and Mike Nichols. Uh, she's, yeah. she's their daughter-in-law. Okay, so th- so that's Nichols. And she's, because what, what happened is a year later, that tape, what happened was somebody saw her in her hotel room, somebody at ESPN saw her making the comments, heard her surreptitiously because they weren't supposed to be looking at her. Um, make the comments and took a video of it and then leaked it, I guess, to Maria Taylor and maybe others because it made its way around ESPN. It's very disconcerting for any woman to find out that somebody's been looking at her in her hotel, her hotel room without her knowing. And I don't care that it was a camera ESPN gave her. She may have forgotten to turn it off properly because this wasn't something that, you know, she she certainly didn't. She had a reasonable expectation of privacy in that hotel room by herself. Anyway, but let's spend a minute on Maria Taylor, because at first I was like, well, I'd be ticked off, too, if I were her. And somebody was saying my advancement was due to my skin color or my lady parts. But the more I looked into Maria Taylor, I'm like, eh, she's not that sympathetic either. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's somebody who's been out there. I don't know. You tell me, Jason, but I feel like she's been extremely woke. And I think she's been playing this behind the scenes because that tape didn't leak to The New York Times until a week ago right before Maria Taylor's contract negotiation, where she's asking to be paid. They offered her a $5 million deal reportedly. She wants $8 million, uh, which is what Stephen Smith gets. And I, people in your world, the sports world, are saying she's not worth that. And it's pretty interesting that it came out right as she was having the negotiation. I think Maria Taylor is, is, is as calculated and conniving as any person, man or woman, in the media business. I think that she has been using race as a weapon for more than a year now to climb up the ladder. She makes $1 million a year right now at ESPN. They offered her $5 million. She said no. She wants $8 million, the same as Stephen A. Smith. At a time over the last two years where ESPN has been slashing everybody's salaries, men and women, Hannah Storm got her salary slashed. Uh, Trey Wingo, other people, Mike Golick, all these men, white men, people getting run out of ESPN because the the salary cuts are just way too big. Kenny Maine, I, I could just go on and on and on. Everybody taking pay cuts. She wants 
seven million more dollars and was offered five million she's not worth five million she plays it she compared herself to stephen a smith she plays a different position than stephen a smith to give you a football analogy megan and i'm not sure if anyway to give you a football analogy it's like stephen a smith (laughs) plays quarterback and Maria Taylor plays center. It's a valuable Uncle position. Uncle Jimmy, he, he correctly does not have faith in my football knowledge, but that I understand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> His instincts are dead that. on, yeah, but I got that. And so let that. me walk you through what, briefly, what Maria Taylor has done over the past year through the New York Times and other places. Uh, when Drew Brees defended the national anthem before the 2020 season, after uh, Reverend George Floyd, Martin Luther King Jr. III got assassinated. Uh, Drew Brees defended the national anthem, and Maria Taylor went on ESPN and savaged Drew Brees, basically accused him of being a racist. Uh, the guy did said nothing wrong, certainly didn't need to have his reputation uh, impugned in that manner, smeared in that manner, uh, but all, all the left media applauded it. Oh, look at Maria go. She really held Drew Brees accountable. Wait, Jason, we have that. We, we I, I cut that because I've seen you talk about that. So I, I thought you might mention it. We've got her sound. So just to refresh the audience, Drew Brees came out, was asked about the kneeling during the national anthem right after George Floyd. He said, look, I, I don't support anybody disrespecting the flag. When I see the flag, I think about my, my grandpa who fought in World War II and you know, the sacrifice that was made to me, the flag's a symbol of unity. That's what he said. The, and then he came out and, and begged for forgiveness. It was pathetic and a massive turnoff. But he came out and begged and said he was so sorry. And her reaction to his apology was long and unforgiving. And here it is in part. The first thing out of his mouth was it's disrespectful. I will not tolerate anything that is disrespectful to our nation and the flag. That was the first thing. Now, if he would have came out and said, if he would have said, oh, well, you know, I understand why it happens and I understand the meaning of protest and why we need it. However, X, Y, Z. But that's not the way it went down in that conversation. And it wasn't a quote in a magazine. It wasn't a quote in a newspaper. And I'm exhausted and I'm tired of having to listen to someone say something like that and then have to sit back and be like, well, maybe he did it. Maybe it's not his heart and it's this and it's that. When you reveal yourself to me and you say something like that and you say it out of an tolerant mind and or heart or a non-empathetic heart. And for the last five years, all we've done is see countless deaths in the street. My patience left my body when I watched George Floyd take his last breath. So if that didn't affect you and make you want to reassess the way that you're going to address a question that includes racial injustice in our country after you watch that man die in the middle of the street, something's off. I don't know if it's your heart. I don't know if it's your mind. But I don't accept either of them anymore. All of that's a load of shit, Megan. And, <laughs> Tell and us how I, you really feel. Yeah, and I say that because, again, and all these people on TV faking, and they're so emotional, they're so exhausted, they're so tired. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you're a former Division One athlete, Maria. Uh, you know, I'm an overweight 50-year-old guy. I'm not exhausted and tired, and I'm going to just tell you why. It's like I had a relative that I helped raise, who I was close to, who was killed by police in 2012 in Indianapolis, Indiana. I know how George Floyd's family feels. I paid for my cousin's funeral. I I, I helped raise him. And so to see all these people fake 
all of this emotion over George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and everybody else that they're not connected to. They're using these dead bodies to advance their own careers and to build their own brands. And it bothers the hell out of me having experienced the death of a family member at the hands of police. They're all lying. And so she used she she used Drew Brees. And then a couple of months later, uh, the New York Times circles back to write a story about how pervasive racism is at ESPN and uh, Maria Taylor's at the center of it because uh, during some conference call, one of her white co-workers did, I think, not knowing or thought he maybe hit the mute button, but he turned to his wife or someone in his house on a Zoom call or conference call and said, yeah, this is a gripe session for black employees. And Maria Taylor told the New York Times that, oh, that comment was a slap in the face and I was so offended and because somebody said this is a gripe. It, if she's this sensitive to any comment and everything's a slap in the face, they need to fire her ass because she's not built for the spotlight. And that, so she did that to the Dave Lamont guy who he and his wife had actually raised some black kid for several years in their own home who went on to become a, a college football player that pe people know about. She just smeared this guy. And then now she turns around a year later and does it to Marie, uh, to, to Rachel Nichols. She, she's just stomping on the heads of white people in a racist fashion to advance her own career. Well, she would say she's attempt. holding them to account. You know, she went to HR in those instances. You know, and I, that's the thing that's a little odd to me. Like people offend you at work. They can say sexist things, racist things, whatever it is. I don't. To run to HR is the new thing where you've got to go tell mommy and daddy and get the person in trouble for an insensitive comment or the Rachel Nichols thing was like, all right, she was on tape in a hotel room. She didn't know it was a good private conversation. Um, and, you know, it also appears she runs to the press, right? It's like she literally did it in the case of the Drew Brees apology. And I would say even though she didn't give the New York Times a, a comment on the record when they broke this story a year later. Um, and by the way, Rachel Nichols has now been booted from the coverage uh, of the, I guess, is it the NBA, NBA finals, finals again? Mm -hmm. um, she's out. She's out altogether. And Maria's in charge. She's That's clearly manipulating the, the press right behind there. the scenes. <laughs> Tell me, Uncle Jelly, Jimmy, I want to hear from you. No, I, I just, I just simply said that's how you fix racism right there. That's how you HR. Correct it. You, well, you, you, you correct racism with some more racism. <laughs> that, 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 that's the way we get to the bottom of this problem. Let, let, let's find a racist act to correct the racist act. That's that's how we get to unity, as Drew Brees said when he looks at the flag. Unity. I just don't just think any of it the other people. is racist, and I don't think America promises you protection from insensitive remarks, and you get to decide what's insensitive. No one else does. And I, I, I'm just sorry. If, if, if someone that I work with said, man, Whitlock's overweight, I'm just maybe that is a bit insensitive, but trust me, it's not going to stop me from doing my job. If someone if someone look, if her boss had said, man, we gave her this job because she's black. What if I just walked up and said, "Ooh, Jason, you have a terrific body. Would you go to H.R.? <laughs> <laughs> Would you be like, I know he lying. That hurt my feelings. You know, damn good. Well, I ain't got no terrific body. <laughs> Passive you might have a lawsuit, bro. Yeah, well, I, I just, 
the whole thing is offensive to me and to, and to sit around and act like uh, that black employees at these media companies or any of these companies must be kept in a bubble to be protected. You got to walk on eggshells around. I, I'm just trying, who wants to work with Maria Taylor? Anything you mm-hmm. say can and will be used against you. She's like a police officer. I thought She's gonna the number read one you rule her. of the game was the mic is hot. I thought that was the number one rule well, of the game. She's, gonna, she's reading her Maria rights or Miranda rights or whatever. <laughs> no, no, that's, everybody. What that, that's what they're going to change it to, the yeah, Maria rights. The Maria rights. <laughs> Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion and human resources. Until well, I do let me, Which wrong. is a very unforgiving place right now. But here's my last point I want to ask you about on this, because I do think it's interesting. So Maria's been out there you know, talking about Black Lives Matter, railing on Drew Brees. You know, she's been sort of a social commentator for the past year plus. And she's also, we learned from the New York Times article that just hit, you know, coincidentally, just as their contract negotiation is up, um, that she's been pushing for more black hires at ESPN, essentially saying that race should be a factor in hiring in promotion. And and then when when someone is caught on camera saying behind the scenes, her race may have been a factor in her getting this job that Rachel Nichols had, she gets deeply offended. Now, I understand why she was upset. Like, I, I think I'd be ticked off, too, because I'd say, oh, it was my talent that got me here, not my skin color, not my, my my gender. But I also see why it happened. This is sort of the downside. We saw this when Joe Biden said, I'm picking a black woman to be my VP, you know, if I get the nomination. And then he picks do that, Kamala dude. Harris. And it's like, well, <laughs> she, I think she's wow, Kamala Harris. failed us on woman. that one. <laughs> what? <laughs> but my point is no like, better than that, Joe. <laughs> he set her ahead, up. No, I'm just saying he set her up for people saying that it that her race and her gender were factors. How can you say they weren't factors when he he didn't say, I'm going to pick the smartest person I can find? He said, I'm looking for the right lady parts and the right skin color. And you know what? I'm just going to take a guess that Kamala Harris probably doesn't care if you say her race and gender were, were a factor. She's the vice president. She doesn't give a damn what you think. <laughs> She's in a great role. So I don't know. It It's kind of dicey. Like if you're going to take a position publicly to push for more hires of color, hires of women, people, blah, blah, blah. Then when it happens, there's going to be some questioning of the basis for the hire. Yeah. You're thinking logic and reason are important to Maria Taylor and her contract uh, drive that she's on. She doesn't want logic and reason to enter into this equation at all, because if logic and reason enter in, they're going to pay her about a million and a half. They're going to give her about a $500,000 raise and say, Maria, keep giggling and laughing and flirting with Jalen Rose on air and shut the hell up if if logic and reason had anything to do with this. And so she's making illogical arguments. She's She doesn't care that she's pushing ESPN, hire black, hire black, hire black. And, and Rachel Nichols and everybody else overhears that with or without a tape. Everybody knows that's what Maria Taylor and others are doing. And so when Rachel Nichols hears that and says, yeah, they took Maria's advice and these other people campaigning around here to hire black, hire black, hire black. And now, but now we're offended that you know that's being thrown back in our face. That's a, it's a joke. We love to holler, hire black, hire black, hire black, until somebody hires somebody to replace our black ass, and then we want to start crying. (laughs) Until then, black lives matter. Until you start messing with mine. We're no different than Rachel Nichols, is basically what you're saying. Up next, we're going to talk about this football player 
Carl Nassib. Um, he's come out as gay and got all this media attention and, you know, sort of it was celebrated by many as brave. What does Jason think about it? And uh, it's going to we're going to get into this discussion about how some people really feel the need to declare their sexuality these days. Willow Smith, polyamorous, Andrew Cuomo's daughter. Who cares about her sexuality? But she wants you to know. We take that up next. Let me ask you about another sports story, and that's Carl Nassib, right? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah. Nassib, okay. Nassib. Nassib. We'll, right. You we'll know, me in sports. You guys are going to walk me through it. That's so, how but much he's we know come about out. <laughs> honestly, I know nothing other than I know he's openly gay. He announced that he's gay. And you've said, Jason, that he looks more like Colin Kaepernick than like a Jackie Robinson. Why? Because he's an opportunist. And he's another guy in a contract situation that stuck his finger in the air and was like, oh, my God, the wind's blowing this direction. Let me come out of the closet and use this as a ploy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And use this as a ploy to improve my contract leverage. He's third string right now on the Raiders. No one had heard of him. No one was talking about him. He's on his third different team in five years. He's 27 years old. The Raiders' defensive end position is stacked with guys they've either uh, paid, uh, recently signed, or recently drafted. And so he's in the second year of a three-year contract. He knows that if he doesn't get on the field this year and put up good numbers because he had a mediocre season last year after they first signed him, that this is it. This is probably his last team. He's going to get cut. Mm. And so he needs to improve his leverage. And now look, John Gruden, the head coach of the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're in a tough spot. The NFL's come out with a social media campaign. The NFL is gay. It's lesbian. It's non-binary. It's transgender. They've leaned into Carl Nassib and this whole gay thing. I LGBT. Yeah, the LGBTQ. I call it the alphabet mafia. Uh, they've leaned they added into another the, letter. They, yeah, they just recently a, added an. Yeah. I, I can't keep up. It's enough letters. You got to yeah. come up BLM, with a moniker at this point. BLM's a part of the alphabet mafia. Long as PIA I ain't in there. Yeah. <laughs> CIA, <laughs> NAACP, yeah. HNIC. <laughs> Who can keep up? <laughs> oh man, I. Uh, Rachel, I think so. They've leaned, so the NL, NFL has leaned into it. Yeah. I see they've your leaned, point. He's looking yeah. for a payday. He's, it's yeah, a money. He's plan. looking to get force his way onto the field and up the depth chart. And John Gruden, the head coach, is under some pressure. If they don't play this celebrated gay athlete, that's not a great look for the NFL or John Gruden. If they decided to cut, hey, he's not good enough to make the team. That's not a good look for the NFL or the Raiders. They have no choice but to keep him on the roster and play, or they're going to get smeared. Mm. I have a question for you, Uncle Jimmy. How is this yes. our business, right? What? How is this our business? Why is everybody declaring their sexuality? Willow Smith, the daughter of Will and Jada, comes out and says, I'm polyamorous. Meanwhile, I'm like, what does that mean? So I look it up. Polyamory is the practice of having multiple romantic partners at the same time with the consent of all parties, meaning you're not monogamous with any one person My okay mama said that's that not that special <laughs> stop it <laughs> stop. 
Okay, then there's, that's how we rationalize it nowadays. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Megan. I'm sorry. <laughs> then, then there's Andrew Cuomo's daughter, Michaela, who apparently was upset that her dad was receiving too much of the press coverage and decided to come out and announce to everybody. Meanwhile, no one gives to anything about Michaela Cuomo and said, I am demisexual. And now I'm like, well, what the hell's that? I don't know what demisexual is. So I looked it up. Uh, demisexual individuals only experience sexual attraction to people that they have formed an emotional bond with. How does this get a name? That's called our relationship. That's my. Yeah. Isn't that called being like pretty normal? Yes. Or ethical, moral. So <laughs> if that's the case, right. I would I would like to make an announcement right here on your show right now, if I may, please, yeah. Miss Kelly. I yes. would like to announce that I would like to be now called Uncle Jimmy Doggy Dog, if I can, please. <laughs> Just because, I mean, since, since, since we're discussing our sexual preference in the workplace. I mean, <laughs> we're going to put it out there. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm have, this is my coming out party. This is me now. <laughs> I would like to be called Megan Kelly Top Rider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I'm afraid to comment on that. Don't, Megan. Jason. I'm, I'm afraid to I'm comment I'm just saying it's too much. I don't need this information. I feel like there's a level of narcissism in it. You know, like I've got a label. And now, because they've chosen these weird things, they can say, I'm queer. I'm queer. No, you're not. That doesn't make you queer. Stop trying to invent terms to make yourself sound special. Remember a time when it was offensive to call someone a queer? Remember, I mean, that's, they didn't like them to be reclaiming called that, but the word. Sudden, it's okay. I'm like, you like that? That that's a good. F- no, I'm confused. I like Bobby, Sherry, Sir, Ma'am, <laughs> Mister, Missus. I want to go back, or maybe if the, I thought there was a time, or we need to start a time where people just keep their sexual activities just private to their bedroom. And I, I don't need to know what gets you excited. And that's my problem with Carl Nassib is that the media has reacted like, oh, my God, what Carl Nassib does with his penis makes him more ethical and courageous than Jason Whitlock. And I completely disagree with that. Uh, but what and- of the argument, Jason, that, you know, gays, you know, typically not as much in recent years, but typically have had a hard time in the country. They certainly aren't, you know, prevalent or at least out and prevalent in the NFL. And so this may make, you know, some young kids struggling with the sexuality, feeling uncomfortable, feel more accepted and more like it's going to be okay. There is some truth to that. And I am aware from my own childhood in terms of I can remember kids, particularly male kids that were more feminine than the rest of us and the type of bullying and harassment that they experienced. I am really glad that that has lessened in this new era and it's, it's been healthy for the country. And so we have to be accepting and view men that express their masculinity or express their sensibilities in a different way than John Wayne. Uh, And so I I think that's good and healthy. But this whole we've moved to a point where we've a bit, in my view, overcorrected. And Mm -hmm. and I'll go ahead and say, try to put it in context and and, and context and not get myself 
canceled. But look, I don't view uh, homosexuality any different than I view my choice to have sex outside of marriage. They're just both sin. So and you're not having sex? No, I've said I've my choice. I've I've had plenty of sex outside of marriage. That's my point. Yeah, that's my point. So I've I've but you but you see it as a sin. It is certainly a sin. It's certainly not something God wants me to do. I put homosexuality in the same lane, not any worse than my sin. Uh, but but that's how I see it. And so, for me, have been raised in the church and having these Christian beliefs. I think, and, and I've made choices, sacrifices because of my approach to life. It's one of the main reasons I've, I never got married because for a long time, I didn't remotely believe in monogamy. Uh, and so I thought it disqualified me from marriage. Oh, you're polyamorous. <laughs> the practice of having multiple romantic partners at the same time with the consent of all parties. You're not monogamous. No, nah, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say I was that. But you I, like I you're polyelastic. <laughs> <laughs> Poly spandex. <laughs> Uncle well, Jimmy, I, I'm confused again. I'm just gonna leave just it. Just making at up stuff. That I just wish we'd keep our sexual preferences more private. All of us, whether yeah. heterosexual, homosexual, trisexual, quadruple sexual, whatever. Now I I'll go down for that trisexual part. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try anything. Yeah. I would say <laughs> so, she's on top so, of the game, ain't she? <laughs> I uh, I get I understand the biblical the definition. Yes, have me hunt of what's sin and what's not. And I I get that when it comes to gay relationships, gay and lesbian. For me, I don't know. I've just I was always raised to believe in a, in a loving God who loves us and that you know, that we're not mistakes and that He loves us as we are. I just don't. I, maybe I'm just like a newfangled. Catholic, but I don't don't see a God that's that judgmental of you based on your sexuality. I realize what's been written. Um, I don't. I just think I. Oh, I think look, he looks at I, your heart, whether you're a loving, kind person, and not what your sexual preferences are. Well, hold on, man. I think that the Bible is like a playbook for life, and that the principles expressed in the Bible there, there's a reason and a logic why God. I think believes in monogamy and sex within a marriage. I think it 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 leads to a happier, more successful life. Uh, the wages of sin. I take it. I'll move away from sex, but it's just like the Bible preaches against gluttony, and I have a problem with gluttony. And there are complications from gluttony and being overweight. And the Bible and God wants you to avoid that. And there are complications to sex outside of marriage. Uh, that's why we have, if you look at all the illegitimate kids. There's consequences. Uh, that we have running around America and just this this whole sexual freedom deal. Uh, you know, there's complications to that. We, we have a lot of kids that have grown up and have never been raised because People that have put no thought into sex and having kids or having kids and they're letting video games and grandmamas and aunties and cousins raise them uh, and those and foster care and all this other stuff. So I, I, I think there's a logic. 
behind what the Bible preaches and what God prescribes. And, you know, we ignore it at our own peril. Well, I, I see your point on that. And I, I've said before, it'd be great if my kids would choose to be, you know, abstinent before marriage. I, I doubt it's going to happen, but I, but I would love it if they decided to go that route. But to me, it seems different than talking about people who are gay or lesbians. If you, if you are gay and you try to live as a straight person, your life is miserable. You're not happier. You're, you're, you could become suicidal. A lot of, a lot, a lot of gay folks historically have conversion therapy gets unleashed on you. That's makes you even more miserable. You could become a dysfunctional person who, if you're, if you're pushed through that, where you otherwise could lead a totally happy, well-adjusted life. If you're just allowed to be true to who you are, to me, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be true to who we are. Uh, I think that's what society wants for us. And, and I would say my sexual desires need to be tamed for me to live my best life. And so again, I, I wouldn't be, and I'm not, I don't think God is asking homosexuals to do anything that he's not asking me to do as well as a heterosexual person who, uh, has, you know, had you know a lot of sex outside of marriage that i i've literally in the past few years as my spirituality has grown deeper i've changed course and have been going a better direction and i see the benefits of it in my life but what's that mean if, if that please, may, yeah maybe, go ahead please, go ahead um yeah. you know with, with that statement of of you I, I think that that's the reason that that's the importance of having god in your life early that's the importance of having a, a, a strong uh, spiritual and religious belief early. That's the reason you have to have values and morality early. You can't wait until you get 18, 19 and 20 and start deciding, oh, I need to learn how to say no. <laughs> because if, if you start having morals and values early, then you don't have to get to this part to where now God got a judge on the curb. He's like, see, I told you this was going to happen. Mm hmm. Well, I think as a general principle, that's true, but not when you're talking about one's sexuality, which most people will tell you, not not these weirdos today who are just like, I'm ex-sexual, some made up thing that they're just choosing to sound what they think is cool. I'm talking about people who genuinely have a different sexuality other than straight. You know, they they, it, they talk about, you know, I, I tried kissing somebody of the opposite sex at 10 just to see if I might actually feel something. And no, I knew I was gay. They knew it. You know, it's not like morality is going to change that for them. They, the, the way I see, I think, some of evolution in the church and, and certainly in society is, is as a blessing and a benevolence and a, and a real sign of progress that we're loving our gay brothers and sisters and accepting them in a way we never did in a way that was very damaging to them. Anyway, I, I see that you see it differently. And I've heard this, of course, having a lot of people who are much more biblical than I am. Um, but I just, you know, I think about my own kids and if they turned out to be gay or lesbian, I, I certainly wouldn't be trying to change it. And I certainly wouldn't want anybody else to be looking at them as just, I don't know, anything think, other than awesome. I think that I am loving and accepting of everyone, regardless of whatever their sexuality is or sexuality issues are. The, the only thing I, I would just like, as a society has to have a standard and a goal and again and we can have those without because my promiscuity has never put me outside or or made me 
uh, a pariah in society. And so I d- we need to quit making gay people a pariah in society. Certainly mm-hmm. agree with that. They need well, to certainly make progress there. Yeah. Their sin through sexuality, no different than mine. But where I'm really concerned, Megan, and I'm sure you've heard this before, too, is just like when we come to this thing, well, you know, I just grew up liking 10 year old boys and girls. No, you can't link pedophilia with gay and lesbian, with LGBTQ. I, 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 A, B, C, D. It's not I'm the just same saying, thing. Where does it stop when we start? No, talking no, about- those two things aren't related. They're not related at all. One is a sickness. One is a mental illness and a criminal act. And one is just one sexual preference. Well, you can't say preference anywhere, but one is just one sexuality. It's not a slippery slope. They're two totally different things. Okay, um, let me say, look, I'll stop. I'll stop because okay. it, it does get. <laughs> Wait, but can I just ask you something? And th- yeah. if this is too personal, just tell me to pound yep. sand. Um, but if you're not married and you don't believe in in sex outside of marriage, are are you just living like a monk? I mean, I just you're you're too young, too good looking, you make too much money to be living like a monk right now. I, what do you? What, how do you handle no, that? No, 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 no. You no, did I, not hear him, Megan. He said that he is with he is not without sin. Yes, I am certainly not. <laughs> he's, without oh, he's sin. You, I'm making okay. efforts to co- course correct. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to you know He's part of the reason I'm in progress. Yeah, I left Los Angeles and moved to Nashville was <laughs> to help myself and to be around high quality women who would make me elevate myself and and just I'm trying to be in a different mindset. D- okay. Do I sin? I would say not as much as I used to. I guess that's. <laughs> It's called progress. It's called progress. Big sexy. He sins. Up next, apparently our best runner, Shakari Richardson, is not going to be representing the U.S. in the Olympics because she had a positive test on marijuana. Uh, AOC and others are saying this is racist. The guys take that up next. But before we get to that, I want to bring you a feature we have here on the MK Show called From the Archives. This is where we direct your ears back to a previous Megan Kelly show episode from our growing library that we think you need to hear again. And today we are going back to episode 59 from February. We hear a lot about critical race theory uh, in schools these days. But back in February, when we started covering the story, we were one of the few. And before he started becoming a true household name, we were joined by Chris Rufo who has been so smart and so important in this whole battle about what critical race theory is all about. Take a listen. Can we talk about that? So let's go back and just talk about what critical race theory is. I think a lot of people think they have a general idea, but don't really understand what is critical race theory. Yeah. And critical race theory is a kind of academic movement that started uh, really to kind of blossom in the 1990s and was really relegated to academia. And the idea is that um, is to, to, to kind of use race as a lens uh, through which to analyze society and basically saying, Analysis up to this point has discounted the importance of race. We should really look at uh, race, uh, racial discrimination, racial oppression. And as at that point, I agree. I think that's actually important. So the kind of premise is correct. Um, but they take another step, which is to say that uh, they make a kind of historical judgment and then a legal judgment and a cultural judgment that the United States is fundamentally and irredeemably racist and white supremacist. And that all of our institutions from the founding of the country to the current day uh, are merely kind of uh, cover or smoke screens 
for racist oppression. And the, the critical race theorists actually started out of law schools. And their idea was that the fundamental rights that we have as Americans enshrined in the Constitution, articulated in the Declaration, uh, are, are actually um, kind of perpetuators of evil. And that we should essentially overthrow the constitutional order and end the kind of unfettered protection of speech and individual uh, rights as individuals and private property, which is another form of discrimination, um, and then end kind of 14th Amendment protections uh, that you're all treated equally under the law. Uh, for the critical race theorists, these aren't actually signs of progress. Even the Civil Rights Act, even desegregating schools, they were very skeptical of this because they say it, it gives the appearance of progress but actually doesn't change the fact that racism is as bad in 2021 as it was in 1814. It's incredible to see how far this topic has come in just the past five months. And we're going to have more on it here at the MK Show in the weeks ahead. And we will keep bringing you more clips you need to hear from the archives. Now back to Jason and Uncle Jimmy after this. Help me understand why you are not on the side of, I think it's just Shakari Rich, Richardson. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I've only seen it Shikari, written. Shakari, I think. Shakari Richardson. Okay, so she's apparently like our best runner. And she's not going to be going to the Olympics to represent the United States because she had a positive test for marijuana, I guess. And, um, you know, them's the breaks. And Joe Biden said, yep, sorry, but that's them's the breaks. But there's been a lot of pushback. Um, on on the internet and elsewise otherwise on on this saying it's unfair and you've got people like AOC saying that the criminalization and banning of cannabis is an instrument of racist and colonial policy it's this is colonialism the fact that she can't race even though the policy was pretty clear and I, to her credit as far as i can see she is not claiming that she's like made a mistake got to bear the consequences of it but the left is saying that this is actually somehow racist and part of our colonial history. Your thoughts? Uh, the rule was pretty clear, and it's an international standard. Not everybody has America's new outlook on marijuana. Other countries, uh, you know, when you go all over the globe, there are different standards. And so the International Olympic Committee has to come up with a standard that works for everybody. Marijuana is still on the don't use list. Uh, and so I don't have a lot of sympathy. She broke the rule. I do think she's made an excuse by, because they keep saying, Megan, her biological mother died. And the reason why they keep using biological, I think is because she didn't have much of a relationship with her mother or they would just say her mother died. Mm -hmm. And so the death of her biological mother allegedly caused her to use marijuana. I tend to not buy that. Uh, I smoked pot when I was throughout my college years, uh, drank a lot throughout my college years. I'm not some prude or whatever. I've written as a journalist about America's drug war and the unfairness of how the drug war was prosecuted. As a sports writer, I've written extensively about this. Having said all that, we should quit acting like marijuana is harmless and we we have to understand that there's a connection between drugs and alcohol and criminal behavior. 
most of the people, and I say that 60, 70 percent of the people that commit violent crimes are on some type of drug or alcohol, mind altering hallucinogen. And so we just need to quit acting like, oh, man, they're just smoking pot. Most of the bad decisions I made in life were could be attributed to either marijuana or alcohol use uh, or women. <laughs> or women uh me doing something stupid and so and usually those all work in combination women mm. drugs and alcohol and dumb decisions for men uh they all work in combination and so and then the other thing i would say megan and and i'm out here a little bit but i i just think they could have put her on the olympic team to run the four by 100 relay because that her 30 day suspension will be up when the four by 100 relay comes up at the Olympics. They okay. chose not to. Why? And so that to me indicates there are potentially other red flags. Her oh. teammates aren't rallying around her. The USA track and field is not rallying around her. It, it's, oh, that's fascinating. It, so the, maybe there's, there's more to the story and they may be protecting her with this story. Look, when it comes to it track and field, as to say, she failed a, a, a weed well, test. I'm not even going to say she failed some other kind of test. I what I'm saying is, your peers always know when you're doping far more than a drug test will tell you. Your peers know it. They don't have to wait on some drug test to confirm it. And to me, when they didn't put her on the track team, uh, on the Olympic team, on the four by one hundred relay, I was like. I wonder what they think. I wonder what the people what they that, know. Yeah, what they know, think, what the people that actually have interacted with her know her far better than all the celebrities and tweeters and everybody. They know her better than everybody, and they don't want her on the team or they would have put her mm. on the relay team. Well, I, I should state for the record, we have absolutely no proof nor even None. any you know, allegations that she's doping. But it's, it's an interesting in distinction. Track and field. <laughs> I hadn't, yeah, well, of course. I mean, listen, when I was at Syracuse, the athletes there is a division one school in, in virtually yeah. you know all major categories. They would openly talk about how they were beating the drug test. And this is back, you know, 30 years ago, 1988 to 92. I was in college. Um, they'd openly talk about how they were way ahead of the drug test. And of course, we've seen so much of that, Lance Armstrong and so on. So you, it's one of the downsides of, you know, the, the doping world is that they've gotten so advanced and so clever that you just you never know. Tennis, too. My, my husband wrote a whole book about uh, the tennis world. It was a fictional novel, but he had done a lot of research. And I never I'm, knew I'm you not were married. That... Yeah, yeah, I'm married. I, I'm on my second know. marriage. I would have but never this is the last to one. do this interview if I had known you were married. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Lord, Jason. <laughs> well, what were those letters you said earlier? And I thought she graduated in 2002 from Thank college. Thank you that's so much for that. That's why that's I was. What I, yeah. that's that's the, just a baby. I was like a doogie that, that's, that's that marijuana that you smoked three times. <laughs> <laughs> it really does have long-lasting effects. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, let's get to Fourth of July because you've had some interesting pieces out lately about our country and how the removal of faith is by design and has been really toxic and damaging to our to our society. And and that it's not an it's not an accident. You know, you call it, I think sin sin valley. Now, what do you call Silicon Valley? Satan Con Valley. Satan Con Valley. That they've, they are not forces for good, and that you know the total rejection of faith in the public square has led to a lot of bad things. And I, 
you wrote this not long before we got to July 4th and it rang it rang true for me because on the 4th of July here at my house we had a big party we had Daniel Rodriguez the singer the patriotic that the singing policeman he's called America's tenor he sang all over the country God bless America right after 9/11 and made him a star anyway we had our kids recite the declaration of independence our our friends and family did too it was wonderful celebrated the country this is what i read when i get back to the actual press um, Cory Bush, when they say the fourth, the July 4th is about freedom. Rem- remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen and black people still aren't free. Then there's Maxine Waters railing about the part about all men created equal. I mean, none of us love that, but we get it. It was a long time ago about voter suppression laws and painting. Still, Michael Brown is a victim. Michael Brown was the aggressor. He got shot because he had repeatedly attacked a police officer according to five black witnesses on the scene who convinced the black attorney general, Eric Holder, under the black president, Barack Obama, that Michael Brown was no victim. Okay, Maxime? Then there's the New York Times. Today, flying the American flag from the back of a pickup truck or over a lawn is increasingly seen as a clue, albeit an imperfect one, to a person's political affiliation in a deeply divided nation. So only Republicans will fly the flag. That's according to the New York Times. Okay, and then here's the last one. Um, well, actually, just FYI, Mara Gay, who's on the New York Times editorial board, she said just last month that she was disturbed to see dozens of American flags being flown <laughs> by Trump supporters in Long Island. It was disturbing to her. And then there's Claire McCaskill, who announced that she is going to make <laughs> she's going to make her family watch video of the Capitol Hill riot from January 6th every July 4th. Remind <laughs> oh me not to go to her picnic. <laughs> So I'd love to get your thoughts on the anti-Americanism, the belief that the flag is now just a Republican thing and that patriotism lies in watching the Capitol riot and talking about basically reinforcing how shitty the country is. Uh, People that are involved in the retelling and reimagining of American history are doing it for the express purpose of trying to create the narrative and the belief that democracy and capitalism, our constitution, our declaration of independence, our founding fathers, all failures. And it's failed so spectacularly that we need a great reset. We need to remake America and the world, and we need to make it in China's image. That is the agenda, that is the goal. These global elites and and global corporations prefer China's system of government, and they want to convert us to that. The Chinese Communist Party runs China. They want that here in America. And so they have to create the belief, and they're doing it through black people because the actual truth about the black American journey, it's, it doesn't damn America. It actually explains America and how inviting and how great freedom is and how our system and the, the documents from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution allow for dramatic change that increases freedom for men, I mean, for black people and for women in this country, that's been our history. Uh, and black people's pursuit of freedom is was the steroids 
that made America great. Black people fighting for freedom from slavery, fighting for freedom from Jim Crow and segregation and just our full rights, powered America for 200 years into being the greatest country on earth. And black people have been America's moral conscious and compass and and have made Christians, believers, pursue their better selves and make this country pursue its better self. They're rewriting history. No longer is America the greatest thing and that all the rest of the globe is trying to get in, beat in our doors. Our borders are jammed to the south because America is so great. And, and it has nothing to do with any of this crap the left is talking about. It has to do, everybody else can see the obvious freedom and opportunity here. And that's what America promises, freedom and opportunity. It doesn't promise you freedom from ever getting offended or any of this other crap that everybody thinks now America is supposed to do. Uh, but all that you're hearing from Cori Bush, Maxine Waters, uh, the New York Times and all the, they want to reimagine America's history, use it as a excuse to blow up our constitution, uh, to take away our rights and freedom and make us more like China. Uncle Jimmy, what would you do if you showed up at Claire McCaskill's house on the 4th of July and she started running video of the Capitol Hill riot on January 6th? <laughs> I'd probably ask her what was next. Is she going to show uh, the autobiography of Roots? <laughs> uh, roots? <Is> that <laughs> roots, yeah, the TV. Well, what, 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 I mean, right. what's next? What's the next movie? I mean, what, what, what are you going to do next? Black Panther? What? <laughs> I mean that that uh, I like how you went to Black Panther fiction another fictional story cuz this insurrection thing is a fiction bunch of unarmed people It was man, not you better shut you saying Wakanda ain't real Yeah Wakanda's not real Man you better get the hell out. See that's why black people it's don't like it It's as phony you. as the insurrection Man get out of here It's as phony as the insurrection Wakanda forever damn it <laughs> What a bummer honestly like can you imagine just like let's let's pick he says any black bad lives chapter matter. in our country's history put it on on camera. All right. So I got to talk about you guys because last time we had you on, Jason, you were solo. And But there is a reason that Uncle Jimmy is with us right now. Uh, James Uncle Jimmy Dobbs. And that's because you two are co-hosts of your new podcast, which is called Fearless. I love it. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Did Uncle Jimmy not make it into the title of the Fearless? <laughs> or did, did somebody short form my I did here? not tell her to say that, Jason. It's a contract so dispute. So that, Jimmy. It's a contract dispute. I did not dispute tell her to say that. That, you know, <laughs> at some point, uh, Uncle Jimmy will probably release some kind of private phone conversation that we had or <laughs> I had with somebody and blackmail me into putting his name in the title. Oh, no, I got a video, asterisk. buddy. I got video. <laughs> oh, remember well, remember the Tybo era when everybody, I got video of you and Billy Blanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that would pretty. be funny. Yeah, that would so, be funny video. So how did you guys connect? Uh, When I was working in Kansas City, I I hosted a local radio show called Jason Whitlock's Neighborhood. It's a morning radio show. And Uncle Jimmy was a DJ that would call in to my radio show under the name of Jimmy the Freak. 
And this have to say that. Yeah, this had to be twenty some odd years ago. Thirty. And and so Jim was this character that called into uh my radio show and you know, Jim considered himself a ladies man and I, he worked at some nightclub called the Firelight, I think. Did I get that right, Jim? Yes, right. Yeah. Firelight Lounge. Yeah, Firelight yeah. Lounge. JT the Parallel, Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so I hear. Yeah, Jim would call in with funny tales about his uh, exploits uh, with ladies and the sports world. Mm. Jim is not worried about sin. <laughs> that, no. that, 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 that was in a previous life. <laughs> Okay, you're reformed now. That, 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 that's where prayer and forgiveness come in, at. <laughs> and support checks. Fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you connect. You had a chemistry, and so what made you partner up, Jason, on when you were launching this new show? And it's with the Blaze, I should say. There's video too, so they can get you in whatever way they want to get you. And I love Glenn. So yet another great hire by him. Um, what made you say, you know, what would add to this? I, I want to bring back Jimmy. I want a partnership there. Well, you have to remember, Jimmy, uh, in how many years ago? Three years ago, Jim was still in Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> he was. Uh, this is a true story. Yeah, he was a uh, sergeant. I, I worked in law enforcement for 17 years. I worked yeah. oh, nice. a sergeant in, 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 in the sheriff's department in, in Kansas City, Kansas. And and I decided I was going to bring him on to my television show at Fox Sports uh, to play the role of my uncle on my talk show, Speak for Yourself. And people thought I was crazy. <laughs> and and People thought I was crazy. Yeah, people. Well, you were crazy, so they they were, <laughs> but they thought I was crazy for wanting to do this. The guy works at a jail. He gonna crack jokes <laughs> on TV now. What are you talking about? And so I had to twist arms and beg, and eventually they allowed Jimmy to come on uh, to move out to LA and appear on my TV show. Speak for yourself. He did a great job there with me for two years, and then I left and went to Outkick, and Uncle Jimmy stayed back. What a friend. And continue to work on Speak for Yourself. And I told him, I was like, look, man, when I get into my new thing and I get my show up, I'm going to bring you to Nashville to work with me again. And we'll continue the, you know, that I got oh, nice. this un- this this narrative. I got this uncle that uh, beats me up and cracks jokes on me and puts me in my place. And I- I'm kind of known as a bully. My shtick is I'm a bully. And so Uncle Jimmy is the guy that bullies me back. He bullies you. Okay, I get that. So now... How Uncle Jimmy, how did you get into this? Like, how did you find your way? Was this was the opportunity of calling into Jason's show your first public appearance? You know, is that first the of first all, it wasn't Jason's show. Jason always tells this story and says it was his show. It well, wasn't called his it Jason show. Whitlock's neighborhood. Until after you got hired, before then, <laughs> it was it, 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 it was just, it was just a show that was caller driven, and then suddenly he came aboard and took over the show, and that's that that was it. Uh, and no, you felt true. you you were overlooked for the role? No, it wasn't even that. He just it was it, it was a show that 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 the callers ran. We just we just took did the whole show, and Jason came and added structure to the show, mm-hmm. and it it was just a joke that nobody liked him because he he was running horrible callers off. Jason doesn't like small talk, so people would call and say, "Good morning, Jason." He'd just hang up on him. <laughs> 
That is true. That reminds me of uh, when I was doing the O'Reilly Factor when I was at Fox. I was coming up young in my career. You'd sit down on the set with Bill, and you have to shoot the shit a little before you know the segment starts, right? You're you come in during the break and you're waiting for the top of the show or what have you. And uh, I'd say, "How's it going, Bill? How you doing?" And he'd say, "I'm the same, Kelly. The same." <laughs> Sounds like Jason. <laughs> I'm not real big on small talk, Jim. <laughs> Okay. But, you know, I'll say this about Jason, uh, uh, the friendship with Jason and I, truthfully. Um, It was a friendship that Jason saw that, I mean, he saw that I was working in a. uh, Yeah, at that time. Yeah, yeah. I I was working as a DJ. And uh, a carpenter, right? uh, I was sanding hardwood floors. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was, but he, I was also trying to be a, a wannabe comedian. And I think the thing that Jason did, or, and well, let, let me just say this. Jason was a friend of mine that I looked at. And instead of looking at him like everybody else and trying to find faults in him, I looked at him. He was somebody that I looked up to. He was somebody that I said, hmm, I, I, I wish I could do that. And after trial and error and finally uh, 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 learning a few things and Jason trying to get me to understand, Jim, you can either advance and be with me or you can stay in that nightclub like everybody else in my daddy's nightclub and everybody else in our neighborhood you can either stay in that neighborhood or you can advance with me and it requires some changes that i had to make in my life it required some some different thinking that i had to make and you know jason mm-hmm. just had this thing and i just want to say this real quick it was just always a case of jim when i make it i'm gonna come back and get you you, you know you always hear that story of two friends and one leaves and i'm gonna come back and get you well, the time came and he came back and got me and I was mm-hmm. I was conducting roll call on Wednesday and on Monday I was on TV. Wow. <laughs> oh, I love that story. So, I mean, you tell me because that, that this is an interesting background in Jason. And when I see him, we're going to pretend he's not here for the second uh, for the moment. When I see him, I do see somebody who's fearless because it's not easy to speak out in the way he does about this stuff. You know, I mean. So we don't see eye to eye on, you know, the position about gays and lesbians in the country. But it's a conversation that we can have. It's OK. It doesn't doesn't cause me to demonize him or want to demonize him. But he gets demonized. He gets demonized for his stance in particular on you know Black Lives Matter and defending our country and going after the sports leagues for being in bed with China. And everybody wants to diminish him for that. And it's much, much harder to be a black man and say these things, even than to be a white woman and say these. Things. You're going to get called names either way. But. He doesn't seem to give a flying fig if you're going to say bad things about him. And I really admire that. So has he always been like that? Um, if you think that's bad, try imagine imagining being his friend. What do you mean? <laughs> what, what happens? In other words, if you think those people, all of the things that you hear Jason, that, that people say behind Jason's back, imagine me being his friend. People go, what the hell's wrong with that man? You mm-hmm. need to tell him. And in, in, in other words, Jason doesn't care. Jason, Jay, what you see from Jay, and that's what I learned from. Him. Uh, and the one thing I've learned up until uh, up until now is if you Jason taught me that if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Mm. Jim, if it's not putting food on your kids tables or clothes on their back, what are you talking about? See, Jason taught me a lesson because I had this thing that's like, oh, he disrespected me. I'm going to have to go. He challenged my manhood. He's like, Jim, 
you sound stupid. You sound like people in my dad's club. And the moment I stopped thinking like that and I started thinking a little smarter, my life changed. Mm, I get that. I, it is hard not to respond to your, detra your detractors and people who say untrue things about you. You really want to punch back like all the time, but doing it is at your own peril, especially when you know your life is elevating, you know, because of your hard work, because of your connections that you've worked to make. Your life is elevating and, and you know, they say haters hate up. So you always have to remember that, right? Like, why would you punch down at these losers who are just jealous of you mm. and want to say bad things about you? Because then when you respond, when you engage, it just makes them feel up at your level. Thanks for staying with us this far, the end of the episode. And who's coming up on our next show is right after this quick break. It's like this. They say you have to be like a duck. You just don't give a darn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're going to start censoring? And that's the truth. I mean, and that's the problem that we have in the world right now. I mean, really. Uh, I, you were using the analogy of Maria, Maria Taylor. I think Jason was like using now. said it was a slap in the face. And I wanted to say, have you ever been slapped in the face? Mm. I mean, you know, have you ever been slapped? I've been slapped before. That hurts. I would much rather have somebody say something about me. That's what they say. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names don't hurt, hurt you. Hey, man, I, I would much rather you say something bad about me. But we're in a whole different. Ooh, I'm sensitive. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. No, I know. And and Jason, you you've spoken before about how it's not like you had this wonderful history where no no one ever said anything racist about you or did anything racist to you. You decided to put you know nose to the grindstone, grind it out, work hard, make an impression, and don't let these negative people's impressions of you or statements about you define you. I, I've chosen to allow Jesus Christ and my immediate family and friends, I'm going to let them define me. And so if, if they have some complaints, I'll listen. Outsiders and just people that aren't happy with their life, I just don't have time for that. And so I wrote that, I wrote a recent piece, I think about you know, some of the things that happened to me early in my Kansas City Star career. At the Kansas City Star, yeah. And and I, I just, you start arguing with stupid people and it distracts you from the work you need to do to to maintain success and be more successful. And And then it's like some people have zero impact on your success. All they can do is gossip and talk about you because that's the only role they can play in your life. And it's just not that important of a role. And and I just I just think about what my parents and grandparents and other the previous generation, what they endured so that I could have the opportunities that I have. And and it, it just nothing, the resistance I face just doesn't compare. Someone Rachel Nichols gossiping with about me on a phone has no impact on my mm -hmm. life. It has no impact on Maria Taylor's life. Rachel Nichols isn't denying Maria Taylor any opportunities. M Maria Taylor's been fast-tracked her whole career at ESPN. She's been given nothing but opportunities. And at 34, ESPN was willing to pay her $5 million a year 
I don't was I'm trying to do the math. I wasn't making five million dollars at thirty four. Your legs Same. don't look as good as her legs look either. I was just, <laughs> come on now. My damn ESPN well, you can't, is crazy. They ain't oh, that you, damn crazy. You know, Uncle Jimmy, you can get in trouble for that now, too. Did you see the thing with Boris Becker? Boris Becker was commenting on Wimbledon, I guess. Uh-huh. And they showed um, one of the players' wives. Some guy lost to Djokovic. And, and the guy who lost to him has a girlfriend, not a wife, I think. Just a girlfriend. And yes. Boris Becker said she's pretty. She was, they were showing her on camera. And there's this blowback, like, you're inappropriate, how could you? It's like, who are these people who think they speak for all women by saying what's offensive and what's not? If somebody wants to call me pretty, go for it. Now, look, if I'm in the middle of, like, doing a presidential debate, (laughs) it'd be nice if you commented more on my intellect. But I don't care. I like to be called. It's absurd. I don't know who these feminists are who think that they're doing us some kind of a solid. What if if the camera would have went on her and he would have said, Holy shit, she's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> then what would it have been? Oh no. Listen, the the women in sport, I just looked it up. The women in sport and perception agency, okay, n- unclear. Um they say they've worked for decades to change sporting culture including to end the objectification of women. When two men are comfortable talking about women in this way, never mind on live TV, it shows there is still more to do. We need everyone to understand how this impacts on women and girls, how it makes them feel. Well, you don't speak for me. It makes me feel good. If you want to call me attractive. Shouldn't we be inspiring the next generation of girls to play sport rather than talking about what women look like? All right, dumbasses. She wasn't playing sport. She was sitting in the in the bleachers watching her boyfriend play. And by the way, if you go to this woman's social media, every single picture of her is of her in a, in a bikini looking sexy into the camera. She has no problem with you calling her pretty. So Could shut up, women in sport. that at the bottom of this, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I want to. I, I like to go back and check your facts. Go ahead. It's research. <laughs> Fact check. Yeah, yeah. Everything's everything's banned. Uh, but you know your point about Maria Taylor. It, it's a good one. And what if she had said? What if the, the Kayla, what's her name, Johnson, had brought her the tape? Maria looked at it and said. Mm, I understand. It sucks to get demoted. Anyway, off I go to my major position that I've replaced Rachel in. Yay! Yay me! And then she just kicked ass. You know, I mean, that would have been the way to handle it, in my view, the classiest way. And instead, she made a thing out of it. Rachel went to HR. Rachel Nichols has now apologized. She refuses to accept the apology. She won't return any of Rachel's calls or her texts. She won't even speak to her. She said Rachel can't appear on her show at all. The NBA finals that she now Maria is hosting. Rachel can't be on the show. ESPN taped Rachel Nichols mini reports and put them on anyway so that they wouldn't have to have any interaction. And Maria wouldn't have to actually look at Rachel or talk to Rachel. And then Maria felt slighted by that, that she even appeared on. I mean, my God, get over it. It's like this is a tough industry. People are going to throw elbows right in your eye and you've got to be able to forge forward. Ooh, you know what this is, Megan? Here it goes. Mm. And uh, I, I didn't originate this comment. A friend of mine, Greg Couch, that appears on my show. This is Nancy Carrick, Nancy Carrick, and Tanya Harding mm. in the broadcasting booth. That's all. That's what this is. Yeah, it's this true. Is. Sometimes one comp- one competitor tries to club the other. Yeah, and you know yeah. the best revenge is to just go out on the ice, skate well, and get a medal. Yes. There you go. Right. I think Maria Taylor's Tanya Harding and Rachel Nichols is Nancy Kerrigan. And I always, you know, I, I always favored Nancy Kerrigan. I, I, you know, I can't say that, to be honest with you. 
I think I'm softening on Tanya. Bothered me. Uh-huh. Her teeth always bothered yeah. me. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's a big, there's a big showing of the front teeth there and the smile. <laughs> but didn't you soften on on Tanya Harding after the I Tanya movie? No, I, I don't think. I, I think was I that w- the release porn she porn video she put out? <laughs> but no, that was Star. Yeah, Mar- I, yeah, Margo I softened Robbie. on her after that one. <laughs> <laughs> After I saw that shit, I softened on her. <laughs> no, it good. I don't. I don't think I bought that movie in terms of. I didn't buy the narrative arc. I, I thought it was too sympathetic and tried to paint her, you know, as this victim. I, I didn't buy it. Although I did, I do remember at the time. I think I kind of preferred Tanya Harding. She, she kind of had that other side of the tracks look that kind of appealed yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, and she she genuinely came from that, and she had a pain yeah. in the ass mother that, who that she'll do was really anything mean. for a dollar. Look, <laughs> <laughs> like she well, fit in the Diamond Joes. Did I mean? Didn't she look like she could really fit in the Diamond Joes, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a dollar to make you holler, really, Jason? <laughs> oh my God, this is a lot of sinning, Uncle Jimmy and I'm, Jason. That's him. I'm trying. To, I, I, I'm I'm working with him, ma'am. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, right. You I, you might need a better spiritual leader, Jason Whitlock. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. I do. <laughs> right. And there we go. Uh, well, this is going to be fun to listen to and watch you guys. I see why it's worked so well. You're so fun. I love you listening to you guys together. And so far, it's kicking butt. So keep rolling with it and keep on coming back. It's been a pleasure. And I've guys. heard you commit to coming on my show. 100%. That's going to do it for this show. You guys want to tune in on Monday because we've got comedian Chrissy Mayer. She is a Trump-supporting female comedian. Boom. Need I I say more? She's going to be interesting. And she is hilarious. So I can't wait to talk to her. That's Monday. In the meantime, go ahead and subscribe to the show right now. We're adding all these fun elements to the show starting this month. So you're going to want to make sure that you subscribe and that you download the show and give me a review. Would love to hear from you. Getting lots of comments, which I still read every single one. It's super fun for me because I do feel connected. I feel like I know you better. And um, give me some five-star reviews if you're feeling generous and kind. And in the meantime, have a great weekend. See you Monday. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.